In this episode of Octal FM, why are mobile games so rubbish? We discuss their unique market environments, where we think the industry is going, and some games that we think are actually quite good. Okay, hello. Welcome to another episode of Octal FM. I'm Gelada. And I'm Saffron. And today we're going to talk about why mobile games are just so rubbish. <laughs> rubbish. That very English word that we've chosen to why use are they on the internet. So, why are they so naff? Why are they so... Yeah, naff's a really good word for it, actually. I, I like that. <laughs> I'm trying to think of more British words that we can use. And that's that's quite uh, maybe controversial uh, sort of statement to make for some people. Bit of a but, sweeping one as well, isn't it? But yeah, but we're kind of talking about this from the point of view of, well, we're talking about it from the point of view of us, and we are quite sort of core video gamers, more traditional video yeah, games. Yeah, more know. traditional video games. Yeah, and we're not necessarily, like, we're not necessarily saying that all mobile games are bad, but there is a general sort of difference to games on mobile devices and on tablets compared to the more traditional ecosystem of video games. Particularly games on the mobile devices that are designed for mobile devices rather yeah. than, say, ports or reimaginings of mm. more traditional video games or series of video games. Exactly. And there's kind of... We were, we were sort of thinking about this, weren't we, and, discuss, and discussing and trying to dissect and understand just from our own experiences and observations as to sort of why we think that the mobile game industry is so different because I mean it is a really important industry right it is worth so much money um you you looked it up right yeah I mean I, this is some figures from 2015 um so it's a little bit out of date by the time of this recording this episode but the industry as a whole is worth about 34.8 billion dollars wow. uh, which is just insane amounts of money I mean to think that smartphones themselves haven't really been around like they've only been around 10 years you know exactly. if you think about iPhones as the starting point and even then the app store wasn't around at first so you had like a year after that where there were where there were no um, apps on on smartphones exactly it was all just pre-installed things mm. And that's just come in leaps and bounds. And that's only going to keep growing as well for the foreseeable future as well until something kind of changes. Mm. I mean, one of the other figures as well, which blows my mind, is that 85% of all app-based purchases are games. Wow. Is that by is that in terms of revenue or in terms of uh, volume? In terms of revenue. Yeah. Uh, and I guess that isn't as surprising as you'd think because a lot of those regular apps, like non-gamey apps, are often free. Because mm. they're like designed to just do a basic service rather mm. than anything else, or they're kind of like add-ons to other programs, like you know, you know, downloading Facebook, you know, is free because it's a service that you, it's like an, it's like an access service rather than an actual service itself. Yeah, exactly. And then the estimates that that's going to go up to around a hundred billion dollars by twenty twenty. That's amazing. You know. It's it just, it is mind-blowing. Absolutely I mean, mind-blowing. And that's an industry from nothing, because this is kind of our point, is that although that is siphoning something away from the rest of the video game market in terms of, I know that that's, we're talking apps in general, but, you know, that is siphoning something away from 
traditional video games. But at the same time, I think most of it is actually brand new. It's a brand new market. I was looking up some statistics of smartphone ownership because I thought that would that's kind of interesting. And 81% of the UK population own a smartphone as of May 2016. And of those, more people use them to play games than they do to do things like online banking and read the news. So it's just like, it's a huge part of why people have a smartphone and why people use um, smartphones. Definitely. I mean, one of the things that I think a lot of pe- draws a lot of people to playing with smartphones to begin with, be it any demographic, is that appeal of, oh, I could play that cool game my friend was playing. Mm. Oh man, I really enjoy playing that game on my friend's my friend's phone. Oh, I'm going to get myself a smartphone as well so I can play it. Even though they're going to use that phone for other purposes, that's was their kind of like driving force behind yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And that enormous market and this is where I'm sort of thinking about my own experiences as a software developer. I think that that enormous market and that huge reach and that massive target audience both in terms of age and just generally people makes it hugely exciting and interesting to be involved in and to develop for. So if you're, a, even if you're not a developer, even if you're not someone that wants to do anything or has previously done any game development or anything like that, the, the idea of building something that is basic, can basically be in everyone's hands. You know, it's not just people who own a PS4 or people who own, you know, an Xbox or a PC. It's literally just like, the entire country's population and the same obviously goes for the states and stuff like that and that's growing and growing every nation as well as more and more kind of nations become internet connected and smartphone equipped as well yeah um and as a result like that because there is such a um desire and such an interest and also because the barrier to entry to develop games on a mobile phone is so much lower than traditional um avenues for example if you want to develop on you know, consoles, maybe not so much now, but if you go back a little bit, back a couple of generations to develop on consoles, you needed like a developer kit. You needed to be either, you know, you needed to be able to get a developer kit from the company that makes the console. In the case of making games for Nintendo, you needed to be certified, right? Like your games had to go through an entire certification process. And I think some of that still stands. I don't know what it's like for indie developers, but for larger companies, you know, you had to go through all of that stuff. You know, there's so many overheads and so much that you need to do. Whereas, developing on a smartphone and, and, and building mobile games, you just need the smartphone and, you know, maybe you need to pay £60 a year to Apple to publish your app on the App Store. But otherwise, everything else is freely available to you. And there's so many resources out on the internet as well. And, you know, it's a very open world compared to the sort of mystery around and intrigue around um, developing for consoles and stuff like that. I mean, especially the console market almost has that almost elite status to it. Mm. Like, um, you've got to be part of the club to be able to do it. One of the um, examples that goes against that, I suppose, is you small indie developers like your Stardew Valleys, like we talked about in previous episodes. Yeah. But they are more or less the exceptions rather than the rules for traditional game design. Whereas for mobile phone games, they can be made by one person, two people, or they can be made by big corporations who have like multiple games being developed all at the same time that are completely different to one another because it doesn't take that much manpower to create them. Yeah, and the other thing is is that a lot of indie developers developing for some of the newer consoles are part have been heavily encouraged by Microsoft and Sony, and that's actually in direct response to the fact that mobile gaming is so appealing to indie developers that they've had to introduce these programs and these you know incentives to 
be part of that community and try and try really, really hard to build that ecosystem of indie developers around their consoles. I can't remember the name of it, but there was a name for like the the Microsoft one, I'm sure, where they had like a whole separate set of indie developers where they would publish their games for them and stuff. Yeah, like the equivalent of like Steam Greenlight. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I know what you mean. I don't remember the name of it either. No. But uh, no, you do know for a fact that the big two of Sony and uh, Microsoft definitely um, encouraged those indie developers to try and mm. get on board with the more traditional gaming market, mm. uh, which is not easy because the mobile market is so lucrative and also so easy to get into as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but unfortunately, that, along with quite a few other points, does really contribute towards that, well, they're rubbish kind of mark that we made earlier. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what are the kinds of things? Like, I, I, I was sort of thinking about it and... One of the things that's really inherent in it is that mobile phones are just a really limited hardware, right? From a gameplay and a game design and development point of view, there are so many things about using a touchscreen and and having poor battery life and stuff like that that are just super limiting. For sure. And as a result of that, you can't really create this kind of in-depth experience. So Mm. to use an almost um, parallel uh, comparison... You've got like the Nintendo DS. A lot of games were created for the original DS with the idea of the two the two touchscreen, well, the two screens and the, and the touchscreen functionality, um, and they were designed to be used as that. But they were also designed to be integrate more traditional gaming elements into it, rather than it being solely just about that. And that's mm. partially down to the fact that Nintendo wanted people to make use of those cool features, but also because they didn't necessarily know how to use them yet, and people had expectations of like how much game they were going to get for their money. Whereas by comparison, the controls of a mobile phone are, they can, they can kind of be anything, but they're very limited to what they can be at the same time, mm. because there's so little in the way of interacting with your phone other than touching it. Yeah. I mean, you know, consoles like the DS and, and the Vita, they still have those traditional fullbacks, right? They still have, you know, space for a D-pad or an analog stick you know, and real buttons and stuff like that. And that allows for so much more precision. You know, your thumbs aren't in the way of the screen. Those uh, input methods have been around for a very long time on consoles and for a good reason, because they're really good. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And they allow for, I think accuracy was the main one that you brought up there, um, which is such an important thing, which is why so many mobile games are very much about just kind of click on something and Mm. it happens. They're either like you press a button to do something rather than you skillfully kind of like dodging past something maybe or collecting something or jumping or something yeah the, there are examples against that of course there are examples of games mobile games that require great accuracy but of course then how much how accurate can that game be and as a result of that is that game going to be really good and a lot of developers rather not take the risk of that and they just go for the easier titles that don't require that level of hard coding to make it work right in such a limited hardware yeah exactly I'm running along the same sort of idea of comparing them to the handheld gaming controls like your your 3DS and your Vita. Um, because it's on that multi-purpose device, which people don't attribute with games exclusively, they, they almost see it as like an extension of themselves and games on them are just a way of, say, killing time more often than not. There's a lot lower expectation for games as well. So developers know this and as a result they don't bother because why would they? Like... If you're making a game and you can put in a fairly low amount of effort and get a lot of money for it, well, why would you go out of your way to create a really amazing game? 
Yeah, and I think some of that also comes from just general behaviors with mobile f- with mobile phones as well. Like people aren't necessarily sitting down to play a, a game for a really long period of time on their mobile phone because that just doesn't match with mobile phone usage patterns. You know, no, you're not, it doesn't. You're on your phone when you're in a queue or when you're traveling from one place to another or something like that. You're not exactly. You're not going to necessarily reach for your phone when you're sat wanting to relax for a couple of hours. You know, and also. That comes back to that discussion about battery life as well, you know, and the sort of usage mm. expectations. By the end of the day, your battery, your battery on your phone's probably nearly flat, you know, and then now you don't want to be tethered to a charger and playing a game no, for a of couple course of hours. Not. And that is a, such a mighty thing as well, because because it's that multifunctional device. The battery life is important for so many other things, like your phone calls, yeah. maybe your GPS signaling, your emails, you know, connectivity, that kind of thing. So as a result of it, you don't want to play your games for too long, and yeah. developers are forced to make games that are maybe less. Uh, intensive so that it does use less battery life. Absolutely. I mean, look at, I know it's not uh, even remotely a traditional video game, but if you look at Pokemon Go, one of the main criticisms of Pokemon Go was that it sapped your battery life to even play the game. And, you know, yeah, that, and that really impacted people's ability to play it because if that was a dedicated video gaming device, it wouldn't matter if it sapped the battery because that's all you use that's it for. It's for. And yeah. it's going to last goes all back day. In your bag and that's it. Yeah. And whereas, you, home, you charge up, no one cares. But with your phone, it's, it's got to last the rest of the day and do everything else it's supposed to do. Yeah, exactly. Going back to developing for mobile phones and things like that, and this was something that I think you mentioned that is really interesting, is that the fact that that market is so huge and it has grown up so fast, yes. or, or in fact it hasn't grown up, I guess that's the point, is that it's it's moved so fast yeah. because of the technology and just because of the just general explosion. Um, somewhere that I particularly noticed this particularly more so early on in in smartphones and, and mobile games, was the dedicated press and journalism around mobile phone games was very forgiving and was did not, just clearly didn't feel like it had the experience of the more traditional video game journalism in that they would overlook things about controls or polish or, you know, general aspects of the game where you'd read a review for a mobile game and it would be very, very glowing, you know, a very positive review. And then you'd play the game and you'd be like, this feels, you know, very (laughs) rough and ready. And you're like, how did you not notice that? And it's because... The, the press is not necessarily used to higher quality things because they're reviewing mobile games. You know, they're, they're not so used in general. Maybe they've come more from the tech side of things rather than video game journalism specifically. You know, and I think also it actually took traditional video game journalism a long time to catch up with yeah. the trend. Oh, well, that was where games. I was about to run into with you with that point was that, I mean, if you think traditional video gaming now has been around since what, kind of like the mid 80s, you, mm. let's say you, you can argue to or fro a little bit. Yeah. But like kind of mid 80s and, you know, that's 30 odd years of time for it to grow up. And at first it was such a niche thing that the only people writing about it were people that were genuinely passionate about the product. And it grew up quite slowly and it only became kind of like mainstream and much more well known like maybe 15 years later, mm. like in the 1990s, for things like the PlayStation 1 kind of coming into the mm. scene, um, which is what kind of drew more people's attention. Whereas with mobile games, it went from zero to 100 miles an hour in like no time flat. And people wanted to review things because reviews generate 
ad revenue, you know, uh, and there was no sense of the people that were reviewing it didn't necessarily care about games, so they didn't set that standard of reviews, whereas like the video game, traditional video game industry did, because everyone sort of emulated what came before it, what came before it was fans loving what they did, reviewing stuff they cared about. Yeah, and, and, and in any situation where you have a mature industry or a mature um, hobby and interest and, and thing in general, you're going to have a level of sophistication and a level of standards and expectations. Uh, and with something fresh like mobile apps and mobile games, that's you know some of that is reset. Not necessarily completely for the worst. In some cases, for the better. Um, that you you know you're, you're sort of looking at things with fresh eyes. But that was something that I particularly noticed when I was you know looking at mobile games, particularly earlier on in you know thinking back to iPhone 3G days and iPhone 4 days and stuff like that. Yeah. No, there's, there's definitely there is a lot of that in the the game industry. The mobile phone game industry, I should say, doesn't need to worry about the opinions because the opinions are going to be based on how quickly addictive it is or mm. like, you know, what that initial rush of excitement about playing the game is going to be rather than the nitty gritty of, well, you know, is the sound quality good? What's the longevity of the game like? Mm. You know, is the voice acting going to be good enough? That kind of thing. Yeah, I guess you could argue, and it's not an unreasonable argument, that actually some of that stuff doesn't matter in a game that you're only going to play for five minutes in a queue at a time. You know, maybe the voice acting, maybe the sound quality of the writing or the UI is just a little bit less relevant in a game that you're not going to put necessarily 100 hours into. Although it could be argued that some of these, you know, free-to-play games and games with lots of microtransactions, there is an expectation that you're going to play it for a long time. Or at least that is what the, the developers are hoping uh, hoping to convert you into someone that plays it you know for a hundred hours at a time well that's it isn't it and that is one of the biggest issues with with mobile games in my opinion is this idea of the low cost high return and the fact that they can just get away with making pretty mediocre products because you know people will play them anyway usually because they're free this is a big free to play argument more than anything else which is majority of games on like the mobile phone app stores yes but they know that they can make absolutely loads of money off of these microtransactions built into the game because they know that a small amount of people will just go ridiculously over the top on these purchases. Yeah, I mean, um, like you, I think you noted down that 90% of that microtransaction and free-to-play revenue comes from just, you know, a, a small, fra- a single-digit percent of the player base for any particular game, you know, particularly very popular games. And that is not good in the sense that it just encourages more and more mobile phone com- companies, specifically more than, in, say, individual developers, to just churn out these endless sequels and and clones of games that have that kind of free-to-play, uh, mer- not merchandising, like price strategy involved in it. Mm. To just get that like ridiculous money coming in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this something that I find really interesting about the mobile game ecosystem is the nature of the discovery of games and the discovery, and apps in general actually, but this does apply also to games, in that you have these curated stores in you know the App Store or the Google Play Store where you discover all of these apps and games and things like that. And the fact that you have that and it's not, orga- it's not super organic, 
um, you know, the press does have a part to play um, and word of mouth has a part to play. But the fact that you have these things makes it so much more about those environments, about the app store, about the play store. And as a result, some of it actually becomes a little bit what I would call a dark pattern uh, in terms of gaming those ecosystems, gaming the app store and gaming the the play store to trick customers into buying something, buying a game that looks similar to another game or, you know, things that have similar names or similar uh, icons, similar imagery and stuff like that. The best example of that at the moment is things like the the Clash of Clans clones mm. and all its derivatives. I, I mean, how many games right now are on the the App Store, like the Google Play Store? You know, we're using them synonymously in this discussion. Mm. Have like sev- these several words in it: Clash, uh, Warfare, Battle. Yeah. Um, you know that kind of think of all those words, uh, Lords or things like that. All those words all keep getting used over and over again because they all can trigger the same response in people's brains of, oh, it's like that game that I know of, or it's like that game I like. Even you think it is a different game entirely. You think it is like the quote-unquote official game that you're after, but ends up just being some kind of like really small company's clone of it to just get you to download it and make some money off of you that way. Yeah, exactly. And I think I like to, again, putting my developer hat on, I like to draw comparisons to the more traditional um, search engine optimization or SEO, where you would um, search for something like maybe you're searching for, you know, you want to buy, I don't know, a new barbecue or something. So you search for like new barbecue on Google and the results you get are, um, you know, loads and loads of websites that are like the top 10 barbecues or like barbecue czar us or something. And none of these things are actually anything. The people who make those websites, they do not sell barbecues. They don't have anything to do with barbecues, but they've built these websites that work very well on Google such that you click on them and then you eventually click through to an actual store and they receive money through getting a small cut of of the barbecue that you bought, essentially. Because Um, they've linked you to them. Yeah, exactly. And that sort of world, that's a very like, it's a low cost to set up those websites and it doesn't really cost anything to run them. And the the potential reward, if you can just scale that up to lots of people, is huge. Um, And I feel like the app stores are in a similar situation in some ways in that there's that same kind of like trickery of, you know, some of these games aren't uh, and maybe um, skins of each other or skins of the same game over and over. Maybe a developer has five or 10 of the same type of game in the app store in the hope that one of them, you know, sticks and gets some people converting and, and buying stuff through them. And maybe they're reasonable games. They're not necessarily terrible, but they're often just, you know, a cookie cutter game of some kind. And, you know, it's it's that kind of world. And something that I think is interesting is that unlike Google, where they Google kind of don't want you to, they don't want those results to be at the top because it can be quite frustrating for people and they don't necessarily get anything out of it. Um, but for the app stores, in particular Apple, who take a cut from everything, Apple kind of don't really care if you, you know, if you buy those games or you you download those games and then you spend They're some money. They're still making money. Yeah, like it, it's kind of okay for them. Like it's not great. It's not a great image, but also, you know, you do have to wonder how much they actually care about sorting that situation out. And it's definitely become a big problem. 
Well, that, then that leads to the, the problem that I've, I've noted, and secondly after that, is that there's no real ramifications for doing this. If you try to do this in like the traditional gaming market, I know we keep making those comparisons because that is kind of like what we as gamers are looking at from. Mm. In the, if you try to do that there, you get called out immediately by the press, by the kind of the the company that was you've kind of mm. like ripped off essentially, and you just wouldn't get anywhere at all. Like no one would take you seriously, and it wouldn't get purchased. Like look at all the um, kind of clones of games back in the day and the bootleg copies of games you get for older versions of games, like uh, Super Nintendo games and Game Boy games and stuff like that. They know, well, No one took them seriously. No one really believed in them. The only people that were buying them were maybe like, you know, mums in the market or something who thought they were buying the game for the kid that they wanted and they just got tricked. Yeah. But even then, that gets shut down pretty quickly. But whereas in the App Store, it's almost encouraged... You yeah, know. it's it's very much a free-for-all, isn't it? Um, and as a result of that, th- because there's no ramification to just throw something out that's either a clone or something super cheap to make, make some money off of it, even if it doesn't last very long, and then you just make another game, because you've it's cost you basically nothing to do it, and you've not lost anything out from doing it, either like legally speaking or even from a reputation standpoint, because... Again, it's a mobile phone. You install it. You don't like the game. You uninstall it. You don't think anything else of it. You didn't even look at who created it. Um, So they could download another one of your games literally 10 seconds later without even realizing it and actually (laughs) really like that one. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the thing is, though, is that, you know, there's definitely a lot of problems um, with mobile games, but there are some good mobile games as well, right? There's one in particular that comes to mind for me, and it's not actually one that I I played hugely, but it just sort of stands out in terms of polish and that kind of thing for me. And that's something like Monument Valley, which is a sort of puzzler, optical illusion puzzler, I think they call it. Ah. Um, And, you know, that's a game that, and I guess this is what's kind of interesting, is that a lot of the games that that I think are standout mobile games, they embrace the fact that it's mobile in terms of the interface and the style of play and things like that, but not for all the sort of the lucrative reasons, but rather more the innovative reasons. And that's, you know, it's an interesting comparison with something like the DS, where you've got DS games that either embrace the the touch controls or ignore them. It's kind of similar in a way in that you have like some games that embrace the mobile bit without also being, for want of a better word, sleazy about it. (laughs) <laughs> so that's a good way of looking at it because some of the most interesting games are games that you maybe have to pay a little bit of money for as well like a few pounds up front but you get a good experience out of it they've used the landscape of the mobile phone to their advantage can we think of any other good examples like that well what's interesting is that well, I mean, there's the, there's an obvious one. There's a really obvious one, which is Angry Birds. Um, yeah, which exactly. I think, and actually, Angry Birds is interesting because, of course, it's one. It's it's basically the most successful, or it was until maybe until uh, Candy Crush or uh, or Clash of Clans. But maybe before those, you know, I think Angry Birds was probably the most successful. I mean, heck, it had like an entire movie based out of it, right? Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's like that really embraced that. You know, the touch controls, uh, the the short duration of each level and things like that and also the very clean and clear art style that works very well when your thumbs are over it yeah because it doesn't really matter it's still very clear and very uh, kind of bright and colorful and easy to understand what's going on mm. it doesn't have a high like skill cap either so that you mm. can just start playing immediately it encourages other people to download it and try it because it's quite an addictive game and it, it, so it does utilize kind of all the upsides of a mobile market without using the more 
nefarious upsides of the mobile market that yeah. have almost been developed as a result of games doing what they're doing. Yeah. It's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way now. Yeah, I know what you mean. And I guess some other examples, what's interesting is that other examples that we're drawing upon are actually ports of yes, games from yeah. other consoles. So things like Hearthstone by Blizzard, that the Blizzard's uh, card game, I mean, they kind of developed it simultaneously for iPad and PC, but that's an example, you know, that's a PC game developer um, developing a game for iPad and uh, or tablet and mobile. Yeah, they took that into consideration whilst developing the game rather than make yeah. the PC version then just porting it. Like, yeah. they, they very much took it as a serious venture into the mobile market. Yeah, and actually I think it makes a better mobile and tablet game than it does a PC game, but at the same time, it's still very much a game that is designed as a very serious video game as a whole rather than something that is particularly capitalizing on some of the the tricks around mobile games mm. also things like you know remakes and ports of games like uh, the shantae platformers are pretty good on mobile uh the world ends with you um what else you mentioned um ascension you really like that's not a port i guess or is it is it is it a well, it's not. It was originally designed um, for as an app, and then it was actually ported to PC for, mm. for like Steam, which is a fairly bad port to PC and a pretty good <laughs> example of a mobile game based on the, the board game that we yes. talked about not so many episodes ago. And again, that utilizes that uh, that mobile platform quite nicely but it also utilizes the kind of idea of microtransactions really nicely so it embraces the idea of people will spend a little bit of money on your game if they want to but not in a in a negative manner so you just buy the expansion packs and if you and that's that's good right because when you buy those expansion packs hearthstone is no different in that sense when you buy packs in hearthstone you're not buying them to get ahead necessarily more often than not at least in the mobile phone environment you're buying it because you've enjoyed what you've played so far and you want extra content and you don't feel Mm. cheated for making that purchase because it's Mm. completely optional and you just want to get a little bit more out of it and you feel you almost feel satisfied kind of grateful that you've had the opportunity to make that purchase yeah and that's when it's done well when you go yeah that's worth it i'm glad Mm, i made that purchase and i've done it like i've spent say about you know 10 15 pounds worth of um in-app purchases on ascension to buy the expansion packs for it and i'm glad i have done yeah rather than buying you know gems for something because you're frustrated and impatient and want Mm -hmm. to play a game more which is very you know that that's a complete sort of contrast and actually that's something we've touched on as well in in our previous episode about community management and about dlc and about the types of dlc that you can have for for games on consoles and on pc you know dlc that actually has some value and some feeling of worth versus dlc that feels very you know making money for the sake of it or is you know there's some dark patterns there to force you to pay for it like the map packs for multiplayer um, first person shooters and things like that yeah for me the biggest thing that i would like to see change in the mobile game world is I would really like to see a move towards more polish and higher standards. You know, I I would not have a problem with sitting on my iPad or my phone and playing a game for a long period of time. But, you know, a, a serious game, a game that is worth, you know, worth more money and, and is, and is you know, a, a very deep and engrossing game. I think there is room for that in, in mobile games. And I think, I think that, there's room for that in the market specifically, yeah. because although a lot of people will say you're wrong and say, no, but the mobile phone market is all about free to play. It's all about people downloading it, playing it for five minutes, uninstalling it or forgetting about it. 
I think there's space for both. I really yeah. do. I, I think, think there's so. so much space for games where you can pick it up, play it for five minutes, put it down, and don't look at it again for another week. But I also think there's a lot of space for those games that are a bit more engrossing, that you usually have an upfront price for, because they do get that slightly higher quality and that more polish, like you use the word polish. Mm. And it, they don't embrace that kind of like, you need to buy some more gems to keep playing now, or you need to wait like, you know, an mm. hour to play it or something. And yeah. it's a game rather than a time sink. Yeah. And I think that maybe there's, maybe that's still a bit of a way off, but I think that that's, there's definitely space for that. And I think as the, the market changes and as people, more people are introduced to video games in general, you know, and maybe, I mean, I don't know, this is very anecdotal. I think that there, um, there must be instances where people move from mobile games to consoles and things like that there must be some some shuffling around of you know introducing people to video games and then they expand that beyond just the mobile games that they play you know i definitely don't want to turn this into a casual versus pro because i think that's a terrible argument i don't think there's anything wrong with people playing games like candy crush and clash of clans for hours at a time you know they are as much of a gamer as anyone you know these are all video games but i think that i'm sure that there are people that then look at other games as well and and different types of games and i think that there's definitely room there for more polish and as developers get more get more confident and get more mature and the budgets get higher for making these games then that will help as well you know, I mean, even like something like Angry Birds, I would argue Angry Birds has a lot of polish for a mobile yes. game. And that, okay, is is sort of like for short bursts and things like that. But that that general high level of polish, I think, is, is lacking quite a lot in mobile games and I think has some way to go. I think uh, if you try to make Angry Birds now, in today's market, I don't think it would be anywhere near as polished as it was when it was created mm. because of... The fact that it'd be so much easier for it to have just been a quicker game, uh, and he would have had a case of if you want to play the next level, you have to pay you know fifty pence or watch this advert. Whereas you don't really get that now. I mean, they may they've updated it and they released multiple versions of the game, like you know the Star Wars versions and Angrier Birds and things like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's clever marketing. Back in the day, the original one was very much just a case of you know throw these things at these blocks. Uh, and it looked nice and it felt pretty satisfying Uh, and I don't think you'd have gotten that now yeah exactly but one of the things I want to say uh, is that we've and I suppose the episode title as well makes it obvious that we we are but we don't mean to just rag on mobile games and you made a good point I don't want to be just seen as the pro kind of like hardcore gamer that's just going oh stupid casuals not at all I think, just like you, that there's space for both markets, and I want both markets to flourish and to have more distinct kind of, I don't know, distinct games about them, because that makes it more interesting. Mm. But they just have so many problems, and I think that these problems will work themselves out eventually, but I don't see it happening for a while, because there's just, at the moment, so much money to be made Mm. in this market. um, You know what, it feels like... it feels like a, a wild game. west, doesn't it? Of like, yes, you know. yeah, you, you're on the frontier yeah. of of mobile games, and that bubble will burst. Hundred percent, that bubble will burst eventually. When it and when it does, I think it's going to be a pretty dark time for mobile game de- mobile phone developers. They're going to be like, well, no one wants to code for a mobile phone because there's no point. You're not going to make any money. Maybe like Apple or Google will make it so that it has to go through a heavy vetting service. They have to play a certain amount of money to be able to put it on the App Store, like beyond mm. what they already do now. That kind of thing, um, and that will just turn off mobile games full stop. But 
that'll be almost like a hard reset, much like the video game crash back in like 1985. Of course, yeah. You know, very similar example. Uh, The only difference is that that happened, you know, in the 1980s with more limited technology, uh, whereas this is happening in, you know, the 2010s, 2020s, Mm. um, where technology is just so much more rife. It'd be interesting, actually, to see when that happens, and or if and when. I mean, you're very confident. I'm sort of, I don't know, I'm, I'm on the fence a little bit. But then, to be fair, uh, just very recently at the time of recording, Rovio, the creators of, of Angry Birds, I believe, have actually laid off about 10% of their staff. So that potentially indicates, um, you know, a, a move towards that. I just don't think it's sustainable. And mm. I think the only companies that are going to be able to make mobile games are your pre-existing video game companies like your Nintendos, your EAs, that kind of thing. Mm. And of course they are now moving in more. You know, Nintendo are making mobile games now. Which is unheard of. If you go back 10 years and you say Nintendo are making games for non-Nintendo consoles, I'd call you crazy. (laughs) Yeah, I would call you absolutely raving stark mad. But they are doing and it was one of the most popular games for a long time. In fact, it probably still is one of the most popular games. Definitely. Uh, you know, in Pokemon Go. And then yeah, you just absolutely. released, uh, what, what is it, Mario? Is it Mario Run? Is that the title yeah, of it? Yeah, Super Mario Run, that's the one. Super Mario Run, you know. And both games have their problems, don't get me wrong, but they don't have the same amount of problems as the games that we've been discussing in the most part. And they're the only developers that are going to be able to afford to kind of dive into that market. And Weather I think the storm. You get that. Weather the storm, exactly, because they've already got that pre-existing market st- uh, stability in their traditional video games, and they can maybe help with a hard reset on the cloning and the very low-quality games that are all about just milking people of their money. Mm, absolutely. But it would be interesting to hear what you think if you're a big mobile phone gamer or tablet gamer. Maybe you've got some interesting experiences with... You know, the, the, some of these games that are full of microtransactions and, you you know, you just you think that actually that's completely fine and that, you know, there, there's so much enjoyment to get. I know that things like Clash of Clans are, pay, are in some cases almost, you know, played in a competitive way, um, you know, and in a super serious way, particularly at the top tiers, just like something like Hearth, Hearthstone. Mm, um, definitely. So, you know, do let us know. Let us know what you think. I'd be also interested to know if anyone has any horror stories as well yeah. of you not being able to stop yourself from buying that next <laughs> microtransaction because that's real and yeah, that's, absolutely. that'd be interesting to hear about because that's very much more of a human psychology level yeah. rather than us moaning about video games and that'd be a really interesting discussion to have. It kind of moves on to you start to move into gambling then as well don't you and that's, yeah, sort, definitely. You know, that's where this is that's in some ways that's where this is getting its learnings from to some extent yeah. um, and as you say very much a psychology thing um, you know and and talk and we've talked a little bit actually about that in life sim games about the reward loop and that sort yeah. of short term reward loop of a game in something like Stardew Valley versus this the reward loops in these games with microtransactions yep so that's kind of interesting and i think we've kind of we've really like blown through this very rapidly we've touched on a lot of different points all over the place all over the shop to some extent this is a huge topic and a very you know as you going back to those figures you know 80 percent of the population owning a smartphone you know the market being worth a hundred billion dollars you know in a few years time this is a huge topic so if there's anything that you would like us to talk about more then you know that's definitely something that we would be interested in talking about more there's definitely a lot of space for us to have more discussions on each kind of area. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I-, I could almost write an entire kind of like paper on one one part of this. Yeah, absolutely. It would be very in-depth. But this is just kind of a taster of why we feel mobile games just 
Well, they're rubbish. <laughs> um, you know, just to wrap it back. But why they? Why I think they've got so much more potential and why yes. I think currently they're almost destroying themselves. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, so do let us know if there's anything that you think we should talk about more or any contrary views that you have. You can email us at show at octal.fm and you can contact us on Twitter at and we're just at octal.fm on there. Mm-hmm. And lastly, one thing I'd like to say is... Uh, shout out and references from extra credits the youtube channel um they've done some fantastic episodes very similar to this kind of discussion and i took some inspiration from those episodes on microtransactions and the free-to-play model they're uh, they're a youtube channel is that correct yeah that's it so they've been going for quite a few years now and they do a lot of this kind of like discussion around games behind the scenes mm. and like the development of games primarily yes uh and they, they've, t- they've touched on kind of mobile gaming a bit and i did take some inspiration from from those episodes mm. i mentioned i'm sure jow will link them in the episode description yeah uh, absolutely if you want to check them out 100 recommend them they've got an absolutely massive back catalog of um videos based on all sorts of uh kind of game development and uh game theory kind of stuff mm. yeah i've had a look as well there's some really interesting topics there so definitely go and check them out after listening mm-hmm. to this episode and after that uh we will catch you for another episode of octal fm soon thank you very much I transfer from the question to we discuss the unique market environment like it's very like batteries not included like I'm like I'm like advertising a toy or something okay <laughs>